So as we begin today, I want you to journey back into your memory. This might be hard to do. Go back to March or April of 2020. Do you have to? Yeah, I, I understand. It's going to be painful for some of us to go back. So this is the time in which the pandemic was coming on. Things were being shut down left and right. Schools were closed. Only essential businesses were open. You ran to the grocery store and remember this being the toilet paper aisle where everything's empty. It became as scarce as gold. And we didn't really know what was going on. We didn't know much about COVID-19. We knew it was contagious. We knew it took people's lives. And remember now, what was your best case scenario a year out from there? What did you hope would be true a year from then? Did you hope you still had a job? Did you hope you still had a house? Did you hope your family was still alive? What, what were your best hopes? Kind of go back there for a second. And then compared to today, and if it's much better, much rosier than you imagine, thank God for that right now. I imagine as we kind of compare those pictures, though, what we envision would be the case and what is the case, there's things that we thought we would lose that we currently have. There are also things that we thought we'd still have and that we're, we still don't yet have in our hands. We, we've lost a lot of different things. Some of us in our church have lost family members due to COVID. Some of us have lost work or has, our work has been impacted by COVID. We might have lost other things. One of the most common losses I heard people mourning from the very beginning was the loss of normal. And it seemed like March 14th, 15th, somewhere in there, normal life as we knew it screeched to a halt and boom, everything was gone. And I remember uttering things like this, man, I just want to go back to normal. How many of you said something along those lines at some point in the past year? Yeah, I know I did. I kind of liked normal life. Early 2020 was nice. And as humans, this is only natural. We like things to be in a place of stasis. We like to know the rules, what to expect. We like to expect the grocery store to have toilet paper for us and food and beef and all kinds of other things we needed. We want to know the rules of, of how to live life. It, it requires less stress on us. So that's a good thing. We can't live constant life in disorientation and chaos. At the same time, our desire to keep things static can also curb growth. Because we don't venture out into the new thing to see what God might want us to grow into. And so while it's a gift to want to try to understand how things normally work, the desire to go back to normal can be a curb on our own desire to grow into the future to see what God might have in store for us. Today, as we look at a passage of Scripture, we're going to see a passage of Scripture where these people went through a devastating time. We're going to look at a passage from the book of Joel, and in Joel, the people are anticipating this great plague of locusts to come through and eat all the vegetation. And in a world where they live much closer to their gardens, much closer to the land, to have a locust plague come through and eat every green thing, that meant famine, that meant death. And God graciously told them, I am going to restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. God tells them, yes, it's going to be hard. It's going to be devastating. You're going to lose a lot. But guess what? On the back end, 
I am going to overwhelm you with everything. I'm going to give you bumper crops. I'm going to make it up. He's going to take them back to the normal place. That would be very comforting. But here's the thing. God was not just going to stop there. God had something even more in store for them, beyond just taking them back to normal, beyond just giving them back their wheat and their olives and their grapes. God was going to give them something new, something even more important. Today we're going to see that God had a gift in store, which was beyond their expectations. He was going to give them his own spirit. And when he poured out his spirit, he would do so on all flesh, the old, the young, the sons, the daughters, the rich, and the poor. So God had something new in store for them, and he also had a new plan. Now here's the thing. Even with this prophecy in hand, people, when it did actually happen in front of them, still missed it. They still misunderstood what God was doing because they had a desire in their heart to go back and keep things the same. They didn't believe God would do a new thing. And so when the Spirit does actually come on the day of Pentecost, there will be some folks who look at it and say, that can't be the real deal. And so here we are as we come out of the pandemic, and I realize we're not quite out of it. I just want to be honest about that. My aunt and uncle this week got the virus, and then my mom was exposed at her work and couldn't go see my grandmother, who turned 91 on Thursday. And so there's still the effects lingering here. So while we're enjoying a season of, I guess, more normalcy, it's not fully there. And we can begin to think, well, we're almost there, we're almost there. And I want to encourage you to ask a different question today. Not can we go back to normal, but what is the new thing God has been doing in us and wants to do in in us in the future? Because it might not just be that God wants to take us back to the way things used to be. He might actually want to move us to the way things should be. And we'll see in Joel today, that God had a plan that far exceeded their return to normal. It was to go above and beyond. So what was this plan that God had for them? Well, here's the opening prophecy that we're going to look at, and it falls right after that promise that God was going to restore to them. God then gives them another one that is going to go above and beyond. He says this, and it shall come to pass afterwards. So after this locust plague, he says this, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Then he explains what this all flesh is, and we'll unpack this in a little bit. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. And even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So God's prophecy here that he gives to Joel is that he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. This is the divine spirit. And throughout the Old Testament, you see the spirit at various places. In fact, the very first page In the creation account, the Spirit is hovering over the primal waters, waiting to start speaking into existence all the beautiful creation that God has. We also see the Spirit come upon people. He comes upon kings, empowering them to be kings. He comes upon people who are metal workers to give them the craft so they can make beautiful ornaments for the tabernacle and the temple. We fast forward to the New Testament, we see the Spirit coming upon those who have faith in Christ. We'll talk more about this in a little bit. And in Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 3, Paul makes it very clear that the Spirit is the agent of God's new creation. Just as he helped with the original creation, the Spirit is now moving us, you and I, towards the new creation. And Paul calls us, in Romans 8, the first fruits 
of the Spirit. The first fruits are the first taste of the next harvest and of, of the age to come, of what heaven's supposed to be like. We're supposed to be that first taste. That's the Spirit's work in us today. And so there's a big, longer, canonical progression of what the Spirit's going to do. Here in Joel, we have the promise that God's going to do this great thing. He's going to pour out his Spirit, and he's going to do it on all flesh. And who is this all flesh? Well, the first one here, it says, is your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I think every generation that has walked in faith wants the next generation to take it up. And we enjoy seeing the younger children, for instance, come up here and sing on Palm Sunday. Or we enjoy seeing the youth services. And that's why this is a hopeful phrase, to say, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. But let me tell you, it's going beyond just having a youth service. This is to have the prophetic word of God delivered from your kids. Now, as parents, this is a reversal. Most of life, because you're doing a lot of training, it's I tell you, you don't tell me. This is the opposite of that. It is your sons and your daughters will now prophesy. They're now going to be the agent, the mouthpiece through which God's going to speak to you. As a parent, that takes great humility. It takes humility to admit, I needed to hear that. Or to even say, God just used you to speak to me. Now it's interesting, I know there's a lot of people who have a lot of concern about the trends in America and how the younger generations are walking away from the faith. And some people resort, instead of trying to go after them, resort to further lecturing and further instructing, rather than listening. Now you can imagine what kind of approach would happen if we listened and said, you know what, you just taught me something. To actually look at our kids and say, wow, God just spoke through you. I needed to hear that. That would confirm in them that God does in fact speak to them and then say they have something to contribute to our community. I remember a few years ago, we were in a conversation with my parents and I don't remember the exact topic. Well, I do know the topic. I don't remember what I said. I do know it was a confrontation kind of conversation. It was gentle, but I did bring up a couple things that challenged them. And they weren't necessarily receptive right then in the moment. I'll, I'll give them that. But you know what? A year later, we were talking around the dinner table, and they said, you know, that conversation we had, we went and thought about that, and you know what? You were right. You know what that did to me? Even as an adult child, it said to me, wow, I'm willing to learn from you. I heard God speak through you to me to challenge my heart. And so there's a challenge here. That if God's Spirit's going to fall on sons and daughters, it means we also need to be able to listen to them. It can't just be a one-way street, especially as our ch children mature, they become adults. It can't just continue being, I instruct you, you don't instruct me. We need to receive. And so it's going to fall first on the sons and the daughters. Not only are these children, they're also both males and females. So you see it's falling on the sons and the daughters. The Spirit is not the prerogative of men or of women. He meets them both. And so in the Old Testament, you see this. You see Elijah and Elisha, who are prophets. You also see Deborah and Huldah, who are prophetesses. And so God falls on both. And so think about this. How many times you might be in a marital discussion, and you might have this, your, your wife might be speaking the right thing, 
And how easy it is to say, oh, what does she know? She's a woman. Or what does he know? He's a man. Because if God can fall on both the sons and the daughters, that means he's working with men and women, and he can use your spouse to speak to you. And who better than the person who has a front row seat to your life? So the first category here that we see is that God would send his spirit on the sons and the daughters, and they would prophesy. The second category here is this next one. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. The next category here is that the old men would dream dreams. And I find this very, very significant. So one of the things that happens towards the end of life is that we begin to stop dreaming. We begin reviewing life. We start telling stories about the past, and what we want to do psychologically is we want to attach to the good things that we've done, trying to review our life to say, have I done enough? And when we tell those stories that remind us of what we've done, it affirms, okay, we've done enough. We can let go of life. It's much harder to pick up a dream when you watch your capacities for life fade away. And so the natural bent of life, the natural grain is to not keep dreaming as you get older. It's actually to stop dreaming and start reviewing. My wife's grandmother, who we lost a few years ago, would always tell the same stories when we went to see her. Now, she had her mind. She was very, very witty. And she would tell the story of the most momentous choice in her life, and that was this. When she was a young mother, it became the family farm back in Michigan became available. The only problem was she was living in Long Beach, California with all the conveniences of modern life in the 1950s. And so her husband decides we're going to go take care of the family farm in Michigan, complete with a wood-burning stove and an outhouse. Not too exciting. And she would retell that story every time. I think almost every time I saw her, she would tell that same story. And she would sit in her rocker like this. She would click her dentures. And she would say, you know, kid, we, we was pioneers, kid. It didn't matter how old you were, you're always a kid. And she would just say, we was pioneers. We was pioneers. She just remembered that moment that shaped her life. She always kept going back to that story because it was part of who she was. It set the contours of her life in motion. And so it's so natural to go back and review and review and review and stop dreaming. But God says here that when the Spirit comes, your old men are going to dream dreams. God's going to speak to them profoundly. He's going to give them something new. I remember my grandmother telling me about buying the family cabin. When I was growing up, my, my family enjoyed a week away, so I know a lot of people are away on vacation. We, we would go a week away, and my, my grandparents would rent a cabin for a week. It was like the highlight of our summer. We would go, and there was always a stream, so we'd play, we'd make mud pies. It was just fantastic. And my grandparents had a dream. Let's buy a place for our family. And it had to have a stream. It had to have enough space for all 17 grandkids and five kids it had to be close enough that you could maintain it, but far enough away you felt like you got away. And so all these things had to be true, and it wasn't until there, there is a place to make space for the younger generation to rise into leadership. I get that. doesn't mean he's done with you. If the Spirit's still at work. It doesn't matter your age. He can use you. He can give you dreams of new things. But not only is it the old, it's also the young. Your young men shall see visions. God's going to speak palpably and tangibly to them. They're going to see 
God's revelation. They're going to see it. So God's going to deliver to the young men too. It's not just old, it's also the young. So this expands beyond just your children now. It's, it's now young people in general. God's going to speak through them. It can be very hard to hear from those who are younger. I remember when I was training for pastoral studies in college, this was back when I was 18 to 22, they said, you know what, no one cares what you had to think until you're 30. And I remember thinking, well, that's preposterous. I got a lot to say. And you know what? I've learned that that's primarily true. And I get it. When you're in your 20s, there's some immaturities. You haven't experienced life in certain ways. You don't have kids out of diapers yet. You don't even have kids in, who are teenagers. And so it's easy to dismiss, like, well, you don't have the life experience I have, so how could you speak to me? I remember one night, I was in college. I went to a church prayer meeting back when they had those on Wednesday nights. And I, I went there, and that morning, I, I had been looking at Psalm 23, verse 6, which says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And that was, that was just really challenging me, because I, I didn't have that vision of God, that God was like trying to give me goodness and mercy. It's like, and I was just trying to, like, wow, this, this is really fascinating. So I shared this in that meeting. And there was an older guy there. He was a former pastor. He'd been divorced. He was out of the ministry. He was actually there with a different, different lady, and I don't know the whole situation. But I remember he looked at me and said, you know, I see how you can say that. Kind of like, your life's good, you're young yet. He's like, I've lived a lot. Life's kind of hard. And I remember that just feeling like this patronizing pat on the back, like, good for you, Ben. And it's so easy for us who are older to look at the younger generation and just patronize them. Say, yeah, good for you. Wait till you get older. You'll figure out the real world. Yep, yep. What a way to stifle a vision from, from a young man. Well, some of you are probably out there thinking like, you know what, Ben, you're probably old enough. You're probably no longer a kid. If you're thinking that about me right now, I'm just saying, you, got, you missed my point. Because guess what? It's the generation behind me. It's the folks coming out of college, the high schoolers. Those are the ones that we need to turn around and listen to. They say, what kind of vision has God given you? How, how can I learn what you have to say and to speak into my life? The spirit is not the prerogative of the old or the middle age or the young. The spirit works in all of us, and as a result, we'll be communicating what God has to say through all those different mouthpieces. The next category, though, includes a socioeconomic category. In verse 29, he says this, Even on the male and the female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. There are a number of different ways to get into slavery in the Old Testament days. One of the ways was you couldn't pay your debts. And so if you couldn't pay your debts, you sometimes offer yourself, sell yourself as a slave. And if you were Hebrew, every seventh year you'd be let go. You'd be emancipated from your debts. We don't know how these people fell into slavery, whether they're taken captive or whether that was through not paying debts. But it would be easy to sit back and think, well, look at those people. They didn't plan ahead well enough. They had to sell their farm. They didn't, or they planted too much of their wheat. They didn't save enough wheat for this year to eat, and now they had to depend upon us. Now they're buying at high prices, and guess what? They're now working for me. It'd be easy to have all kinds of judgmental reasons of why their servants and then begin to think, oh, I must be better. What do they really have to offer me? We can do the same thing today. 
We live in a very educated community. We live in a very wealthy part of Pittsburgh, a very wealthy nation. We begin to ask questions like, well, what does someone else who doesn't have what I have, who hasn't succeeded in starting a business, who hasn't gotten through college, what do they have to actually speak into my life? <clears throat> they might have a lot. And Joel says here, even on those days, the male and female servants will have the spirit upon them. Doesn't regard class. The spirit will use everybody. So what might someone who's in a different part of the world, different socioeconomic status, have to give to us? They might have a lot. I remember reading this book by Johnny Erickson Tata and, and Estes, and, and Johnny Erickson Tata explains her experience of going to Africa, and she was going on a trip to deliver wheelchairs and other things to help people who were handicapped. And you might think, like, hey, we're showing up at the, you know, we got all this good stuff for you, you're going to be happy to see us, and that would be the focus of the first exchange. But instead, she was greeted differently. One of her pastor friends opened, her, opened his arms and said, welcome to our country, where our God is bigger than your God. Hmm. It's not like you go to Africa, suddenly, you know, God expands. It's not like Aslan keeps growing or something like that. No, it's that their understanding of God is so much bigger. When you've had to depend upon God, when, you, when your retirement account isn't a number that kind of fluctuates a little bit here and there, but rather you look outside your front door and there's the garden that's going to be your sustenance for the year, and guess what? It's withered. You pray a whole lot more persistently than you do if you're like, oh, that number's in a good spot. I can squeeze out this year. Yeah, we're good. Or I've got Social Security coming. <clears throat> We're in a place where you're right next to daily existence. When your sustenance is not guaranteed, your prayer life is a lot different. And so this pastor said something that I think reminds us. We might need people from the other parts of the world to speak into us. We might need to learn from those who are praying harder because life is much more fragile. And so the Spirit is going to fall on the children, on the young, on the old, on the servants. He was not going to be a respecter of persons. He was going to come upon all. And that was the new thing that God was going to do. God was going to use his Spirit now to fall upon all of them. So he warned them ahead of time this was going to happen. Now, it took a while for this to, to be delivered. But when it does, in fact, happen... The people who are watching it happen can't put the pieces together. They're flummoxed by it. They're mystified by what they're seeing. And some actually will shut it down, say that can't be God's new work. God wanted to do a new thing among his people. And as today, as we emerge from this pandemic, in some way, shape, or form, what's the new thing that God has been doing or wants to do in you, in your family? in our church. Is there something new that God wants to do? Let's not be the ones who don't get it when it happens right in front of us. Let's not fight it trying to go someplace when God wants to do something new. Let's not miss it when he's got a great plan in store. So on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit does in fact come. Let's pick this up, and as we'll see, people are going to miss, understand what's actually happening. So here's Acts chapter 2, this is after the death and resurrection, actually after the ascension of Christ. 
And it's the day of Pentecost. They've waited 40 days after, I'm sorry, 50 days after Passover, 10 days after the ascension. Here's what happens among God's people. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, these are the disciples, all in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here's this powerful experience. The Spirit falls. They begin speaking. Then there's observers. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. These are the people who would have read Joel. They were Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So they're asking these questions. What are we, what are we observing here? Something incredible is happening. They're bewildered. But notice our different responses. We're going to see two different responses. One will be puzzled, and the other is going to be cynical. Verse 12 says this, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. So the first group that we see here are those who are puzzled. They have the prophecy. They've been reading it. They've been hearing it spoken in synagogue. And then they see the Spirit fall, and they're like, I, uh, how do these go together? They're not sure. They're puzzled. They can't quite make the connection that this is, in fact, God's Spirit right here. The second group are the cynical. These are the ones who don't believe God could do a new thing, that he's not going to do this new spirit pouring out on all flesh. They mock. They say, they're drinking alcohol over there. Like, we know what this is. This is a party. You guys are drunk. Now, can you imagine this? Here is this powerful new thing God's going to do with his spirit. And instead of actually seeing it for what it is, what they say is, this is just alcohol. They blunted themselves off to the possibility that God would do this new powerful thing. What cynicism does is it seeps into our hearts and it begins to tell us, no, don't be duped again. God doesn't really do things. God doesn't really change you. God doesn't really shock you with new things. He doesn't give you dreams. It's got to be alcohol. And so you find some other excuse, find a joke to push it away because it, it's actually too, too uncomfortable to actually open up to the idea that God could be doing a new thing. And so we have the puzzled and the cynics and then Peter is going to put the puzzle pieces back together. So he says this, but Peter standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning. Like, that's kind of early to be drunk, drinking, right, guys? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So there he has the puzzle piece. He's got the cipher. He says, look, you want to know what's happening? This is Joel chapter two, and this should all sound very familiar to you. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, 
and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Peter, taking the passage from Joel, has the puzzle piece that now makes it all make sense. He puts it in and says, look guys, here's what's going on. This is the prophetic moment. This is the new thing God wanted to do among us, and he's now doing it. It's now falling upon us. And now Peter makes sense of the world and what God has been doing in it. Now you might be here and thinking, okay, what, what, how, how do you even participate with the Spirit? How do you come to have the Spirit work in you? Peter explains that to his audience as well, because I imagine as they're perplexed and they're trying to understand what's going on, Peter then says, here's, here's how you receive the Spirit. Look what he says. Peter replied, repent. And repent means to agree with God that your sin is your sin, and then to turn the other way and say, you know what? I want to follow you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. This is an offering to everyone, saying, look, all you have to do is repent, and you'll receive the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive, note, the gift of of the Holy Spirit. So to those who repent and receive the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit is the same part of that package. It's not this additional time when you get it. No, it's all together. The Spirit is going to now be a part of God's work in the world for those who follow Jesus Christ. And note this, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. You might be feeling like, oh man, that God stuff, that I didn't grow up in a Christian family or I didn't grow up in a Jewish family. Look, for all who are afar off, the offer is for you, for today. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And if you're here today and you're feeling this tug, like, that sounds mysterious, but I want to be a part of that. Don't put it off. If God is calling you today, I'd love to talk to you about how do you work through this repentance? How do you receive the gift of the Spirit? He wants to give it to you. For those of us who have received the Spirit, throughout the New Testament, we're just going to stay on that slide, actually, sorry. Throughout the New Testament, the role of the Spirit gets clarified. He is the one who wants to bring us into conformity with the image of Christ. He's the agent of the new creation. And if there's anything that he's going to do, he's going to use all things to conform us to the image of Christ, so that we are a taste, we're the first fruits of the world to come. And he can use a pandemic to shape us into that way. He can use life after the pandemic to shape us in that way. He's very resourceful. And he wants to shape us into the image that we are going to refract of God's glory in the future. So as you think about what does new normal look like? What should new normal look like? There might be a lesson that you take from the pandemic. One of the gifts that I found from the pandemic was that the hectic pace of life that was early 2020 got shut down right away. Some of the difficulty I had to say no to different things, suddenly, guess what? It was a valid excuse for everybody. And I'm asking myself, how do I keep using that muscle well into the future? So there might be some things that God gave you in this pandemic. You say, you know what? I needed this time to hit the brakes to figure out this is not really how I want to live life the rest of my life. 
And if that's you, if, you, if you've got a lesson that God has brought to you, if there's been something new God has done in your heart and your soul during this pandemic time, here's, I think, the question for you. How do you begin to put boundaries in place to protect that? Maybe it was family time. Or maybe it was developing a new skill. There's a, a, a new capacity you want to live into. How are you going to safeguard it? Now's the time to begin thinking. I know some of you are on vacation mode, but ask yourself the question, how do I protect this new place of growth that God has called me into? How do I put boundaries around it? Now, others of you are, are still like, I want to get back to normal. I'm, I'm getting close. I'm feeling it. And I just want to say, ask God if he has a new normal for you. Is there a new place that God wants to take you? Perhaps when we talked about the cynic, it was a place of your soul where you're feeling a little cynical. Maybe you've grown old and you wonder, does God have a dream for me? Does God change my heart? And your cynicism quickly shuts down any kind of suggestion that there's something new. Maybe God wants to shatter that. If you're finding yourself hard and cynical today, can you offer that up to him to say, maybe there's a new place where I can be receptive to God's invitations. Or, or maybe early 220 was a, was a time when you had a very minimalistic idea of what you could accomplish or what God would do through you. One of the things of hu humans is we like to keep things very, very small and manageable. And part of growth is, is pushing out to the edge to say, well, well, what actually is possible? What could God actually use me to do? If we're empowered by the Spirit, God has much more he can do through us. And your self-perception might be part of what's holding you back. The Spirit might be wanting you to expand that. Could you offer yourself to him and say, I want that courage to step into that place, that new place, the place of growth. Because he's not done with us. He wants us to be the image of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to be a community that speaks into each other's lives. And so there might be a voice in our room that you need to hear from that you've been shutting out. So I've got a couple of reflection questions for you as we end today. And we'll call Brooke up to, to play gently as we, as we end. But I want you to sit with some of these questions that, we, as we, that we've talked about today. One is this, and they're in your bulletin right underneath the, the scripture passage. The first one is, is there a category of people that you tend to dismiss as being able to speak into your life? Is it the young, the old, the rich, the poor? What, what fits in there? Is, is there a category of people you're like, nope, can't hear from them? Second question is this. Is there something that God has taught you in the pandemic that you need to hang on to? Has the Spirit been at work transforming you? And as we think about what does the new normal look like, how do you preserve that? So that's another question. So if there's something that God's like, boom, this is it. I've been working on you. How do you hold on to that? And then for the rest of you, if there's nothing, I would say, um, pressing coming up for those other two questions, then sit with the last one. And that is just to ask God, is there something new for me? Do you have a dream? Do you have a vision? And then ask for the courage to receive it when it comes. So while Brooke plays, I want you to sit with one of those questions and just ask the Lord. Just prayerfully read over that question and then sit 
Sit with him. Tell him how you feel about it, what comes to mind. Just be with him in prayer while Brooke plays.